I'm going to do something that uh, I'm, I was kind of surprised that I hadn't done before, but I'm preaching a sermon through uh, a psalm this morning. And particularly, we're going to be in Psalm 63, and uh, the title of the sermon this morning is Thriving in the Wilderness, Thriving in the Wilderness, um, from Psalm 63. So, uh, this psalm is uh, a psalm of David, and um, the opening inscription ascribes the psalm to when David was in the wilderness of Judah. So, it's not clear what time frame that uh, that is. Um, it could be when he was on the run from Saul who was trying to kill him, but in verse 11 of Psalm 63, there's a reference there to the king. And so it could be that David was already the king at this point, which would mean then that the psalm would, would more likely relate to the time when David was on the run from his son Absalom. And so if you remember that story in scripture, uh, David had a, a kind of a runaway son named Absalom who came back and basically started a coup and was going to take over his kingdom and kill his father. So uh, if you've never been depressed, that's probably a time to be depressed when your son's trying to kill you. Um, and what we see here is that David is in the wilderness, um, the wilderness of heartache, of sorrow, of pain, and literally a wilderness. But we ourselves oftentimes find ourselves in something of a wilderness. It could be physical illness. It could be uh, these old bodies wearing out. It could be the loss of a dearly loved one. It could be relational struggles. Uh, the fact of the matter is it's important to have appropriate expectations. The Bible says we live in a fallen world uh, and that we as God's people are sojourners, strangers, and aliens. That is the very, the very part of being a Christian is that we're living now in a time that is not our home, uh, that is fallen, that is broken, and that will continue to be until the Lord Jesus Christ returns to perfect it, to perfect us, to remove all causes of sin and lawlessness and to establish his eternal kingdom. But the question for us is how can we thrive in the wilderness? And that's what I want to talk about. This morning, I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to read from Psalm 63. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for these brothers and sisters that you've brought here today. Lord, we believe that you have something you want to say to us. And so, Lord, as we read this psalm and think about um, David in the wilderness, God, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord. Uh, certainly, God, everybody in this room has... Um, something, God, that's weighing upon their hearts. And Lord, we want to know, we want to know how we can thrive in the wilderness. We want to know how we can have firmness and strength of soul, God, so that we are not shaken. Lord, as we sang about, Lord, uh, that our fear might not stand a chance because we stand in your love. And so, Lord, I pray... <laughs> Uh, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, if you have a Bible uh, and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word. We're going to read Psalm 63, beginning in verse 1. It says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. 
as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night, in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The word of God. You may be seated. So the question this morning is, how can we thrive in the wilderness? We can thrive in the wilderness three ways that we see from our text this morning. Number one, we can thrive in the wilderness by thirsting for God. Number one, thirsting for God. Number two, we can thrive in the wilderness by meditating on God. Meditating on God. And number three, we can thrive in the wilderness by praising God. By praising God. First, number one, we thrive in the wilderness by thirsting for God. If David is indeed fleeing for his life from his own son, then David is almost certainly in one of the darkest places of his entire life. And when people are in the darkest place of their life, there's normally two responses. One of two responses. Uh, One response is that in the darkness of their life, some people just give up on God. They turn their back to God. They get angry at God, and they descend into inescapable darkness. But there's the other option, the alternative. And the alternative is that in the blackness of night, or what the Puritans called the dark night of the soul, they turn to the God who dwells in inapproachable light. If your life has caused your soul to dry and shrivel up onto the very verge of death, you have an option, and that option is in that moment, you can thirst for God. You can turn to the fountain of living water who alone is able to satisfy a parched soul. And so this is a calling for us individually and us as a church corporately to thirst for God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You see, thirst is one of the fundamental human cravings. Water is a basic human necessity. So when it is absent, when you have no water, your, your, you, your body has a physical response that you have no control over. A physical response of unresting thirst. And the truth is, is that the same thing, whether we recognize it or not, the same thing is true of our, our souls. Our souls crave satisfaction. Our souls thirst. The problem is, is that we too often, to satisfy the thirst of our souls, we too often look to things that cannot satisfy. 
In the very moment where we need to turn most to God, we return to something else. We return to people. We return to relationships. We return to drugs or alcohol. We return to our jobs. We'll turn to a screen. Or more entertainment to numb ourselves to what's really going on in our hearts and what's really going on in the world. And we end up like a person who's lost at sea just trying to satisfy their thirst. They drink salt water and only end up getting thirstier. But David, in the dark night of his soul, he thirsts for God. He faces his situation head on. And that, and that, that, that's the thing. That's what that he faces reality. There's just so much temptation today to just, again, to just veg out, to just ignore things, to not, to not face the darkness of our hearts, the darkness of our lives, the darkness of our souls. We don't want to face it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to confront it. And we just, we just turn our brains off in front of a screen. But David, David is, is in, he's in the wilderness and he's thirsting for God. He's, he's confronting it head on and he, in his heart. He's saying, God's the only one who can meet me in this situation. Because for God, for, uh, for David, God is not just a far off abstract entity. And that, that's who God is for a lot of people. God's just an idea. He's not real. He's more like a myth. He's more like a fairy tale. He's more like the last resort when I've tried everything else. But for David, he's, he's, he's not just any God. He's his God. God, you are my God. God is not just any God. God is David's God. He is David's shepherd. That's what he said. The Lord is my shepherd. He's David's king. He is a real and present help that David can turn to, long for, thirst for, with all that he is. David has cultivated a relationship with God so that in the darkest moment of his life, he can say with pure integrity and sincerity of heart, God, you are my God. You know, if, 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 if you were best friends with the President of the United States and you got in a tight spot, you could say, uh, Hey, president, you, you're my friend. Help me out. And then the president's either going to say, all right, or he's going to say, who are you? Because, because, you know, you got someone who shows up, you, you hadn't heard from them in ages, but they show up knocking on the door and you're thinking, oh boy, what do they want? Because they, they might say my friend, but can they really say, but can you really say we're friends? We might say God is our God, but if we knocked on God's door, would he say, hey, how you doing? Or would he say, where have you been for the last 10 years? Can we say with David, God, you are my God. Have you cultivated and invested in your relationship with God so that in the darkest moment of your life, you know that you can turn to him? You can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, God, you are my God. David says, earnestly, I seek you. The word could mean early there, but it, it, it can also mean earnestly, and that's probably what it means here. And it goes with the, the language of thirsting, right? If you're dying of thirst, you will, do, you will go to extreme lengths 
to get some water. You'll do almost anything within your power to get it. And that's what David is saying. He, he is earnestly seeking God because in this moment only God can satisfy. And so he's going to go to whatever length he has to to get God. Just like a parched person in the desert seeks for water. And so the question then for us, and I think, I believe, I know that the future of our church depends on how bad we want God. I'm just saying it. The whole thing hinges on how badly we want God in our hearts, in our church, in our life to, to be in His presence and for Him to use us for His glory. So this, this is not, it's, not a, it's not just a, uh, a, a, an unimportant issue. It's the, it's the fundamental question of our lives. What is, what is our fundamental craving? What is the fundamental pursuit of our lives? Do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or do we love something else with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And God's a hobby. That's the question. Will we be a church that thrives in the wilderness of this world because we never stop earnestly seeking God? Because we know that from Him and Him alone are the solutions to our greatest problems in our hearts and in the world. Will we, will we know and act on the truth that, of understanding that unless God shows up, all our greatest efforts are in vain? We could do everything right. We could make every perfect decision. We could use every possible best practices and methods. But if God doesn't show up, we're wasting our time. And God shows up to people who are thirsty for Him. Earnestly, I seek you. Can we say this morning that we have earnestly been seeking God? If not, hey, let's go. Let's get in our faces. And say, God, we need you. We need you to show up. We need you to act. We need you to move. For us. For your namesake. So let's seek God earnestly. When we lie down, when we rise. When we ride in the car. When we sit in our family, with our family. When we sit alone in silence. Let us thirst for God. Let us say, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. We thrive in the wilderness, number one, by thirsting for God. Number two, we thrive in the wilderness by meditating on God, by meditating on God. It says there in verse two, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches, in the watches of the night. 
For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. So we thrive in the wilderness by thirsting for God, and then we thrive in the wilderness by meditating on God. By meditating on God. Uh, despite the fact that meditation uh, on God has been is an ancient Christian spiritual discipline, uh, nowadays when you hear the word uh, meditation, uh, the picture that pops into people's mind is a sitting Indian style on the floor with your fingers together going, no. But is that what we're talking about with Christian meditation? No, not at all. So in, in some Eastern religions, right, the point of meditation is to empty your mind. Just getting it all out. Just try to like perfectly clear your mind. To attain some kind of sense of oneness with the universe, if you will. But Christian meditation, hear me now, Christian meditation is the exact opposite of that. Because in Christian meditation, we're not trying to empty our minds, we're trying to fill our minds. We meditate not to lose focus on reality, we meditate in order to get a tighter grip on reality. You see, because the Bible says uh, uh, we walk by faith and not by sight. That, that what we can see is temporal, but what we cannot see is eternal. And so we actually see reality at its most clearest when we see it in view of eternity. And so when we get into the quiet part of our souls and really meditate on Christian life and Christian truth and, and our circumstances in life, and really sit and think about how the things that we're facing today are really small in light of eternity, and God is big and God is huge and God is greater than whatever challenges we face today, it is at that very moment where you're actually getting the tightest grip on reality. To meditate as a Christian means nothing more than to concentratedly put one's entire thoughts on God and His truth. And thinking about how those truths should impact the way we think and view and see the world and other people. And this is what David does in the darkest moments of his life. He thirsts for God. And he also meditates. That's what it says in verse 2 there. I've looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. In other words, he reflects back, he reflects back on a worship service. I know all of you in the darkest moments of your life, you're thinking back to my latest sermon. I know that's what you're doing. But no, he thinks back into worship. He thinks back into, he reflects on being in the presence of God. And that's his solution. That's the solution to the dark night of his soul. Is going back to the time when he was in the presence of God, beholding God's power and his glory. What is he doing? He's preaching to himself. He's preaching to himself. That's Christian meditation. You preach to yourself. The, the, John said that our great enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Nobody talks to you more than you. And so we preach to ourselves so that we'll believe the truth because our tendency is to believe lies. 
And what is he preaching to himself? He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Now think about this. This is not just a, you know, a, a hyperbolic statement. Your steadfast love is better than life. David is contemplating being killed. And he's saying, God, your love is better than life. That's not just a nice religious sounding statement. He's saying, Lord, I'm probably about to die. And your love is still better. So think about it. Rather than despair, rather than lose his mind in fear and terror, rather than get angry or bitter at his circumstances, he chooses to remember the love of God. And says, you know what, God? I might be about to die, but to be loved by you is better than life itself. So that what? So that in the darkest moment, one of the darkest moments of his life, he's not, he's not shaken. He's not given up. He's not hopeless. He's not in, again, he's not in, he, he's not in inner turmoil. He's resting on God. He's preaching to himself. So that, he says, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Again, <laughs> again, this is just not just like a trite Christian statement. I will bless you as long as I live, Lord. And that might not be a whole lot longer. But I will bless you. I will lift up my hand. God's love is better than life. And so he will bless God as long as he lives. That there is an inextinguishable spark in David's heart, no matter how great the flood that's rushing against him. This is what? This is the power of Christian meditation. This is the power of Christian meditation. This is the power of taking gospel truth and letting it saturate and renew your mind. And that's what the Bible says in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When you become a Christian... God gives you a new heart, a new mind. You think differently than you used to think because your mind is now informed by Scripture and truth, and that makes you different. And it can make you like David, a person who can be in the dark night of the soul, and yet he casts himself on God and doesn't lose hope. That's the power of Christian meditation. It gives light in deep darkness, hope and hopeless situations. It reminds us that no matter how big the problem that we might find ourselves in, God is bigger still. So how can we be such people? How can we have the solidity of soul that David has? And I think the answer is to meditate on God. Namely, specifically, by saturating our minds with the Word of God. God's Word is primary to meditation because God's Word is God's truth. It is God speaking to us. It is God revealing ourselves to us. You can't meditate on what you don't know. So to have fuel, you know, uh, being a Christian facing life 
But not knowing God's word is like having a gun without bullets. But when we saturate our minds with the word of God, we're filling our minds with scriptural truth so that at the right moment, the Holy Spirit can bring that truth to mind to combat the lies of the devil and of our own hearts. So when I talk about Christian meditation, the, the, the place that we all need to start is we need to saturate our minds with the word of God. And that, bear, and, and, and that means reading your Bibles. It means reading your Bibles. As I always say, as a pastor, I'm telling you to read your Bibles. Why? Not because that's what good Christians do. Oh, I got to read my Bible again. Read your Bible because God is in this book. Read your Bible because if we will hit the pause button on life for two seconds and open this book, the God of the universe just might speak to your heart. The God, the king of the cosmos might say something to you and change your life. And you don't even know. You might read today and you'll say, okay, I don't even know what that means. But guess what? Tomorrow, something happens in your life and you know that God had something he wanted to say. And he was preparing you for it. We got to saturate our minds with the word of God. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. How in the world are you going to combat a liar? With the truth. If you don't know the truth, you won't be able to discern the lies. A doctor will tell his patient, you need to eat better. Don't raise your hand if your doctor's ever told you that. Well, there was a time in the past where pastors were known as spiritual doctors. And I'm telling you, you can't starve your soul and think you're going to beat the devil. It's just not going to happen. He is out there like a roaring lion seeking the weak sheep, to devour them. Saturate your life with God's word. Think about it. Read it. As you read it, think about it and say, God, what do you want to say to me? What is this, what is this saying? What are the truths that are contained in it so I can believe them and trust them and bank my lives on them? Re- reflect on it. Look on God in His glory, in His sanctuary. You, we, we can't go to the temple, but we can enter the holy places through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can behold God. In fact, we can see more clearly than David could because we have Jesus Christ. And when you go into the presence of God and when you've been in God's presence, when you've been in God's presence, It gives you a moment like David. It gives you a, a place to, to call on. 
when you're in the darkness of life. And we can thrive in the wilderness because we've meditated on God. So number one, thirsting for God. Number two, meditating on God. Number three, finally, praising God. We thrive in the wilderness by thirsting for God, meditating on God, and praising God. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night, in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be apportioned for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So, first of all, or, or next, we thrive in the wilderness by praising God. And we see three reasons David praises God here. Number one is we praise God for the satisfaction found in him alone. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Now that sounds kind of weird to us, uh, but the point is, is that in their day, that language was the most, you know, that was the most satisfying uh, language they could come up with. Okay, that, that spoke to that culture. In other words, he's saying that God satisfies us in a way beyond the deepest conceivable earthly satisfaction. David is at the prospect of losing everything, his throne, his riches, his very life. And yet he can sit in the wilderness and dwell upon God and find satisfaction of soul. And when God satisfies you and is the delight of your soul, you can praise God in the bleakest of circumstances. And that, what, that's, that's, that has always been the Christian testimony and witness. Not that Christians don't suffer, but that Christians suffer differently. That's always been the Christian testimony. The, the, the first few centuries of the Christian church, you know, what marked, what marked out and set the Christians apart was that they just, they faced life differently. In times of persecution under the Roman emperors, Christians would be uh, in the arenas about to be devoured alive by animals and they would be praising God. Because they had something that was better than life. So they weren't afraid. And so they praised God. Paul and Silas, when they were unjustly accused and imprisoned. You ever been unjustly accused and imprisoned? What did they do? Did they call a lawyer? They sang a song of praise to God in shackles. And you know what happened? What happened? God sent an earthquake, broke the shackles, and saved the jailer. Because they praise God. Praise changes us. Even in the darkest, uh, we get 10,000 reasons to praise God in the darkest moment of your life. And praise changes us. It turns what the enemy means for evil into good. We praise God for satisfaction in him alone. We praise him for his help. He says, 
You've been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I'll sing for joy. Second Chronicles 16.9. This is a great verse. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Look, you might be in the darkest not place of your life, but you're not hidden from God. God can see you. God knows what's going on. God's watching. And he gives strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. David, David knew the help of God because he fought bears and lions as a shepherd. He fought Goliath. He fought the Philistines. God delivered him from Saul's pursuit of his life. And the same God who had helped him his entire life, he knew was going to help him again. So he praises God for his help. And then finally, we praise God for his deliverance. For his deliverance. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. The mouths of liars shall be stopped. When I say we praise God for his deliverance, what I mean specifically is deliverance from enemies. This seems sometimes counterintuitive to Jesus' teaching about love your enemies, but they actually go together. They actually go together. We love those who have ill will towards us by praying that God would save them. But at the same time, we can never forget that God is a just God. And we can pray. If there, are, if there, is, if there is great wickedness in the world, we can pray. We can pray two things. We can pray, God, either save that person or take them out. And deliver the people who are suffering under their hands from their evil. That's a just prayer. See, God is a just God. God is a merciful God. The two go together. We know that God will save sinners. God saved Paul and he was a persecutor of Christians. You think, how many Christians do you think were praying for Paul's conversion? Well, guess what? God saved him. God is patient, but God is also just. When you look out in the world, when we look out in the world, we have to wrestle with the fact that as we observe things, more often than not, it seems like the bad guys are winning. That evil is winning. But you just, again, this is why you have to meditate on Christian truth. The Bible says they're not winning. The Bible says the only reason they're still here is because God is patient. Waiting for people to come to repentance. But his patience won't tarry forever. And this is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1. It says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. What's the point? The point is, God is in control. He's in control in the darkest moments of your life. And if it seems evil wins, it's only because God is patient. We live in a wilderness world. 
But the wilderness reminds us that this is not our home. That it's not always going to be like this. That we have a blessed hope, the, the, the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when that happens, when that happens, darkness will be swallowed up by light. And so we wait. We wait thirsting for God. We wait meditating on God. And we wait praising God. Jesus is coming. To be the church God has called us to be, we better be waiting. Thirsty. Seeking. Meditating. Praising. To be found faithful when he comes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you today. For your love for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that when I was an enemy, when we were enemies of the Most High God, you sent your Son to die on a cross to reconcile us back to you. And for that, Lord, we praise you. We thirst for you. We meditate on you. Thank you for your grace through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I just pray that in the coming weeks and months and years, we would earnestly seek you. We would not let up, Lord. We would be like a Jacob who wrestled and said, I won't let you go till you bless me. God, let us be a church that earnestly seeks you and your presence in our midst. And Father, I, I, I pray this morning that maybe there's someone in here who has yet to find the true satisfaction of soul that they so desperately long for. I pray, Lord Jesus, that right now in their hearts, you would show them that you are what they're looking for. You lived, you died, you rose again, you, you're coming back. And may they see that they can turn to you and find all they've ever needed. Lord, we love you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.